Well, for those who don't know me, my name is Jonah Crowder, and I am the creative pastor here at Multiply Lake Norman. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, but y'all haven't even heard me yet. <laughs> awesome. So as weekly attendees know, we are at the very end of our 16-week study on the book of Romans. So I have been tasked with closing out the entire series. Yay. <laughs> awesome. And so don't worry. If you, ha- if you weren't able to make it to the last 15 weeks, I'm going to do a little review. But get ready because I'm about to sum up 16 chapters of the Bible in the next 30 minutes or so, right? So pray for me because this is going to be a lot of scripture. Awesome. Well, while in Corinth, Paul was writing a letter to the churches that were meeting in Rome. Paul not only wrote to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Recall back in Acts 9, when Saul, whose name had not yet been changed to Paul, was blinded by the Lord on the road to Damascus. The Lord spoke to a man named Ananias and said, go and minister to Saul. Ananias, of course, was very hesitant about this because Saul was a wicked, wicked man. Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So at this time, there was a lot of dissension between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews claimed that the Gentiles are not worthy of salvation because they are not God's chosen people, right? But Thankfully, we know that God, Jesus died on the cross for everyone, for everyone to have the opportunity for salvation. And of course, John 3.16 is where we know this from, because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So after salvation, Saul, whose name was now changed to Paul, took some time to study before going into ministry. Now, skip ahead. After two full missionary journeys, Paul was staying at Corinth and wrote an instructional letter to the churches in Rome, which is what we now know as the book of Romans. Now, as we're doing this review, keep in mind that the Bible was not written in a chapter verse format. Paul didn't say, and Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation, right? He didn't say that. He wrote it sequentially as a continual thought to Rome. The first few chapters of Romans, Paul brings to light that both Jews and Gentiles are sinners in need of a savior. And that salvation is not reserved for only the people who followed the strict code of conduct for the Jews, the law of Moses. You see, the Jews held themselves on like a pedestal of sorts. Because just by being Jews, by being circumcised, by keeping the seventh day and not doing any work on it, and eating a certain type of food and not eating a certain type of food, Jews considered themselves better than every other person, right? So Paul wanted to stress to the church in Rome that everyone, including Jews, are sinners in need of a savior, And that just by following a set of rules is not the key to salvation, but faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 9, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 28 through 29, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Because the law of Moses commanded all Jews to be circumcised, the Jews were also claiming that Gentiles had to be circumcised as well. So, the Jews were like, okay, I guess because of the death on the cross, Gentiles can now be saved now. But not unless they become circumcised, they eat certain things, and they follow a strict code like the Jews do. But Paul is saying that the salvation on the, and death on the cross marks a new covenant that is not based on your actions, but rather based on your faith in Jesus. So basically that means that it doesn't matter how many good deeds you do if they're not based in faith in Jesus. So in the next chapter of Rome, in the next few chapters of Romans, Paul speaks of the justification everyone has in Christ Jesus when they put their faith in him. Romans 5, 1 through 2, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. That means that anyone now has the opportunity to receive salvation, but not through their good works as the Jews believed, but rather through their faith in Jesus. Now, Paul further emphasizes that because of the death on the cross, Jesus has overcome the sin of man, the sin of Adam. Now, don't get confused because Paul is not saying that I can just go around committing sin and because of grace, I can just ask for forgiveness at the end of the day and all's Gucci, right? That's not what he's saying. So don't think that you can just go around and sin and then because of grace, we're all good. That's not what he's saying. Look at Romans 6. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm going to throw it back to my junior Bible quiz days, right? So in junior Bible quiz, we learned to memorize scripture, right? And how did we do that? Well, I mean, we were young, right? So we learned to memorize scripture by putting it to songs, right? So no shame, but I'm definitely about to sing y'all a song real quick. <laughs> Sounds good. So we learned this, this verse by saying, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Romans 6 and 23, right? <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
So with this verse, Paul is saying in order for us to live a life of grace that God is wanting us to live, we must put away our sin and live a life of sanctification. Now, recall that sanctification is being separated from sin and set apart to serve God. And how do we do that? By repentance, right? And repentance, remember, is not asking for forgiveness, but it's rather turning away from your sin. Then, of course, the wonderful chapter 8, where Paul shows that when you are living the life God desires you to live, free of sin of the flesh and fully aligned with the Spirit, nothing can condemn you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. To those who are in Christ Jesus implies living a righteous life. So it does not mean you can go around sinning and there's still no condemnation that, okay, after I accepted Jesus into my heart, I'm saved now. Now I can do whatever I want because there's no condemnation. That's not what this means. It means that there is no condemnation as long as you are living a righteous life free of sin. Paul ends the section by saying, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Chapters 9 through 11 reminds the reader that God's chosen people, Israel, have rejected God. But they can be restored by the grace that comes through faith in Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As, Frank, as Dr. Frank Turek outlined, Romans 1 through 11 is all about how to get right with God. And Romans 12 through 16 is all about how to live right for God. So Paul writes in the 12th chapter of Romans, how to discern God's will and live your life in a way that will honor God. Verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, verses nine through 21 are basically like a little mini series on how to live as a Christian, right? So I'm gonna highlight one of those. Verse eight, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, sometimes, as I'm sure you all do, I wish that certain passages in scripture just weren't in there, right? Because he's saying, have peace, right? But it would be so much easier to just let someone have it, right? But Paul is specifically saying, as much as it depends on you, make peace, now, don't get me wrong. You need to defend what is indisputable. Don't just roll over if something that you know to be true, right? That's what you need to do, which is what Paul is talking about in chapter 14. But first, chapter 13, which is about our duty to the government. How do we, as Christians, live according to the Bible 
while still being under the authority figures that God has allowed to be put into place. To reference Dr. Frank Turek's talk on Romans 13 a few weeks ago, yes, you have a duty to government, but you have a greater duty to God. You must be a good citizen. In fact, try to be the best citizen you can be until they try to get you to sin. If they try to get you to sin, even if they tell you you cannot do something that the Lord has specifically told you to do, that is when you must go the other way. Now, the last three chapters of Romans are all talking about how to live as Christians among people. Chapters 14 and 15 are discussing not mistaking the minor disputable issues with the major indisputable matters of the gospel. So Paul is saying this to put a stop to the divide of the Jews saying that Gentiles cannot be saved unless they follow the strict law of Moses. But Jesus' death on the cross marked the beginning of a new covenant, one that does not rely on physical rules and regulations, but one that is based on salvation and then sanctification. Paul is saying that with a new covenant, you do have the freedom to eat or drink what you want. And circumcision is not a requirement for salvation. And doing work on the, on the seventh day does not get you kicked out of heaven. Right? So, Romans 14, 16 through 17. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. However, Paul continues in verse 20 by saying, All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So even though we have freedom in Christ to do these things, if someone has a personal conviction, it is up to us not to express our freedom in Christ around those people. In other words, don't do anything that could cause your brother to stumble, even if it might not be a sin for you, right? So as a whole, Paul's letter to the church in Rome expresses the importance of aligning your life with Jesus. After salvation, pursue a life of sanctification. Know your duty to the government and how that aligns with your duty to God. And don't get caught up mistaking minor disputable things as major indisputable things. Woo! We did it. We reviewed. <laughs> so... We've now arrived at Romans 16, which is Paul's final conclusion to the letter to the churches in Rome. All right, let's do some more reading. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the church of the Gentiles are grateful to them. But also the church that meets at their house. Greet my friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. I'm with you. It's a little boring. Let's skip. Greet 
Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurseus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Okay, I get it. I know what you're all thinking. Pastor Jonah, is this one of those chapters in the Bible that's just all the random names that no one knows how to pronounce? Those are just the, the chapters of the Bible that I typically skim through and get to the more important parts of Scripture. Totally get it. Totally get it. There are some parts of Scripture that are just boring. Like, we just mentioned Aphibiscus and Germanius, right? Nobody knows the names that we're talking about. Now, if you want to get into it and really dig deep, you can find out what exactly those people are doing at what point in history, right? But um, hidden among Paul's greetings and commendations, there is a warning that's really important. Romans 16, 17 through 20. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So, in these few verses, Paul is giving a warning about false teachers in the church. I urge you, brothers and sisters. This is stressing the importance of the warning he's about to say. Watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Stay away from them. He is saying, be careful of those people who push rules and regulations that don't line up with what the Lord has commanded. Be aware that this happens. You know, when I was in college, my professors would always tell us to never use Wikipedia as a source for any of our papers or any of our research. Because in the academic community, Wikipedia is not considered reliable. Now, Wikipedia is what is known as a wiki. It's right in the name. And a wiki allows any person who has access to the information to not just read, but also edit any of the words on the page. Now, it's a cool concept, I guess, you know, because like with the idea of if anyone sees a, a, a singularity that's wrong, they can just go in and, and change it so that the next reader can get accurate information. But here's the thing. It's also dangerous because anyone can access and edit the information. Because guess what? How many people know? People make mistakes, right? Not only that, but some people will actually push the false narrative on you. So people will edit what is accurate to falsify the information. Look at this quote. Disinformation is false information deliberately spread to deceive people. It should not be confused with misinformation, which is false information, but is not deliberate. Well, according to Wikipedia, right? <laughs> Don't tell my professors. <laughs> so whether or not 
false information is intentional or unintentional, it still negatively affects reality. So in Romans 16, Paul is discussing false teachers, fake leaders, people who are adding their own narrative into the scripture as factual. Now, sometimes this can take the form of people adding their own minor disputable convictions in as major indisputable convictions. And as we study as Romans 14, personal convictions that are not major indisputable convictions may not be convictions for everyone. But that's okay. But be careful not to push your own personal convictions on other people as if it was an indisputable matter of the gospel. In Romans 16, Paul is urging us to be careful not to believe the lies of false teachers who spread false information about the scriptures through disinformation or misinformation. Paul even says, keep away from them. Now, he's not talking about the physical sense, you know, like, oh, stay six feet away from someone and we're going to be good, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about don't let your mind believe the things that they say, but rather put your trust in God. So do not necessarily believe their words. Speaking of false teachers, Paul says, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Appetites isn't referring to gluttony, right? It's referring to their own selfish ambition. Paul is answering the question, why do we keep away from the false teachers? And the reason is, because they serve themselves disguised as them serving God. And in the process of serving themselves, they lead naive people astray with the lies they say. Now, how do we ensure that we are not spiritually naive in our lives? The first step of ensuring spiritual maturity is read the Bible. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you memorize any verse in the Bible, it should be that one because that's like great. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, I wanna point out that reading the Bible is not just for the passages it entails, right? It's not just about the subject matter that's in the book. It's also because reading the Bible in the habitual sense, so every single day, it develops your self-discipline. Now, I know for me, I don't always want to sit down and read my Bible. Because, I mean, frankly, it's boring. Right? As a, a Singritus and Philippibishev just showed us. It's, it can be boring at times, right? But habitually, reading something, let me say this first. Instead of getting bored about something, I would rather do something entertaining, right? Watching a movie, playing a video game, you know, scrolling through memes. I'm Gen Z, so our entire understanding of the world is basically based through memes, right? But doing something on a regular basis, like reading the Bible, that is beneficial to your faith and not your flesh, increases your discipline and helps you face tougher challenges that may come later on in your life. 
So when I was a kid, I don't know, five or six or something like that, my mom would make like a checklist for me of everything that I needed to accomplish every day. These were, you know, small things like, you know, oh, make your bed, you know, do everything like that, brush your teeth, right? Oh, clean your room, you know, all the stuff that's normal, right? But they always seem so menial, right? Because like if I missed a if I missed a day of making my bed, really nothing bad was going to happen, unless I would get a spanking. <laughs> so my mom would tell me that if I was a good steward with the small task she gave me, when it came time for me to be trusted with more important things, she would be able to trust that I would handle it correctly, right? So as I said, in a reality, if I missed a day of brushing my teeth, nothing bad was going to happen. But look at Luke 16.10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So in the same way that reading the Bible regularly helps increase your discipline, so does prayer. Prayer helps build not just your faith, but also your trust that the Lord will work out everything for his will. By praying, we know and we proclaim that we are not trusting in our own abilities. We are trusting in what the Lord has shown us. We learn to lean not on our own understanding. 1 Timothy 4 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. Whose responsibility is your godliness? Yours. It's not dependent upon someone else. It is all on you. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Other versions of the Bible are translated to pray without ceasing. In other words, never stop talking with God. Build your trust in this because praying without ceasing shows that you trust fully what the Lord would have done in your life. It shows us that we are not leaning on our own understanding, but because we pray continually, our hope and our faith is put into Jesus. Lord, I will trust the words you say, even though I might have a different way of going about it. Lord, protect me as I drive. Lord, keep me calm because this person just cut me off in traffic. Right? Lord, help me to make my bed. <laughs> Pray continually. Pray through the hard things. Lord, I've lost my job. Rent's due next week, and I cannot pay it. But... I trust in you, and I know you will provide if that is your will. In addition to reading the word regularly and praying without ceasing, I would encourage you to find mentors. But here's the thing. Find a mentor who is trustworthy, who is not living a life of sin. And I would encourage you to always pray about the advice that they give you. Because whose responsibility is your godliness? Your own. 
right? Paul continues by saying, everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Man. So not only are we supposed to avoid committing sin, but we're also supposed to avoid even furthering our knowledge of sin. So a spiritually mature Christian who is not naive about spiritual matters has a thorough understanding of the indisputable aspects of the gospel and is not furthering their knowledge of sin. So wisdom and knowledge, they help you navigate difficulties. It's almost always better to have more knowledge and more understanding about any subject in life, except when it comes to sin. Because even the knowledge of sin is evil. Think back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God wanted to keep Adam and Eve innocent of even knowing sin was a thing. Because even the knowledge of sin is evil. And as we read earlier in Romans, the wages of sin is death. So they will surely die just because they have a knowledge of sin. But here's the question. What happens if we introduce the knowledge of evil to the innocent? What about us who are parents? I'm not. What about a guardian? What about an older brother or an older sister? Be careful of wrongfully introducing the knowledge of sin and the knowledge of evil to the innocent because that is not their sin, but it could be yours. Be careful about what movies and TV shows that you watch in front of your kids. What about video games, social media, memes, the internet? Be careful because evil is often right behind the door. Paul continues by saying, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is just reassuring that the Lord's victory is a guarantee. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Saul was an evil, evil man. He traveled around targeting Christians for persecution. But after his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute Christians, he turned his life around and became one of the most prominent and influential persons in all of Scripture. First Timothy, Paul writes, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
Paul claimed to be the worst sinner alive. But because of his repentance, God was able to use him in incredible ways. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. It has always been my desire that if someone took a magnifying glass and looked closely at every single aspect of my life, that they would then be able to determine how to live exactly as a Christian. By the grace of God, Paul was able to turn his life around from being the worst Christian alive to being able to say with confidence, follow me because I am following Christ. No one is too far gone. No one. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you were. Now, it does matter if you haven't repented and you're still doing and living a life of sin. No one is too far gone because no matter what we've done, no matter what we've done, the Lord's grace is standing by, ready to bring you into righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what grace is for. After repentance, God will give you grace. How can God then use your brokenness, your past, to impact his kingdom? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you.